Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, this is Eric Dondero, your host for Blog Talk Radio, uh, coming to you from Houston. Libertarian Politics Live is on the air. Libertarian Politics Live is brought to you by the Libertarian Defense Caucus, with your co-host, Andre Controversa Traversa. And now, here's your host, Eric the Attack Dog, Don Darrell. And that's uh, precisely why we're on the air tonight. We're doing a sort of impromptu show. Um, we wanted to work out some kinks and test a few things. We've got some uh, new um, new sound bites, and um, I'm not sure if they're working or not, so we would uh, like to get a call in and... Uh, the number Eric? is six four six nine one five nine eight eight seven six four six nine one five nine eight eight seven. And I think we might have our first guest on tonight. Is this Stephen from Houston, Texas? This is me. Hey, Eric. How you doing? Good. To, good to see you. And uh, I'm not sure why uh, my co-host Andre Traversa is absent this evening. Um, well, I think he, <laughs> he tried to call my home number a few minutes ago, but my, my wife's on that line, so this is my cell phone. So uh, he may be trying to call. Okay, well, great. Good to have you on the program. I've got your bio. I, I know you're a lawyer uh, from Houston. I, I believe you specialize in uh, immigration issues, correct? No, IP law, intellectual property law. Oh, oh, well, that's even better. And uh, what well, uh, H1B visas? Do, do you have anything you need help with? <laughs> no, that's all taken care of. Uh, <laughs> it's funny you should mention that. I do have a spouse that uh, we went through that whole. H1 process there, and it was an absolute nightmare. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, one of the reasons we wanted you on the show tonight, you had some very interesting views on uh, the issue of Israel and um, uh, Jewish issues, um, uh, some quite controversial, and uh, we wanted to get to that and uh, pick your brain a bit. Uh, uh, there's sort of um, sort of stances that uh, you haven't really heard too, ma- too much of in the last uh, few years. Actually, for the last few decades, but uh, I think I'll go ahead and turn it over to you, and we'll let you explain the, what your uh, what your views are on 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 Israel and, and the whole Middle Eastern uh, situation. Well, um, I had written an article a few years back that continues to get attention, and uh, the idea was basically let's let's try to find some way that that everyone can win, that we can solve a lot of problems with one stone, and. You know, a few ideas kind of came together. One is sort of libertarian ideas that government should be minimal uh, at, at, at worst and uh, really has no business owning millions of acres of uh, public lands and things like that. And uh, combine that with the fact that, uh, you know, we're spending $3 billion a year on Israel, $3 billion a year on Egypt, and lots of money because of the support of Israel. Um, and combine that with the fact that, you know, when Israel was uh, – uh, when the Zionist movement started – they were looking at Uganda and all kinds of other places. Uh, you know what? I remember that. Yeah. That, yeah you yeah. know, you brought that up. I remember that now. Uh, mm-hmm. This was back in the 1940s, right? I believe so. Yeah. And um, and uh, so you let's know, at the time they were they were they were open they were open to lots of different possible homelands. Yeah. Let's uh, let's back up for a second, Stephen, and explain to our our listeners uh, and callers if you want to call in. It's a six four six nine one five nine eight eight seven. Six four six nine one five nine eight eight seven. 
Uh, once again, this is an impromptu show. Our regular scheduled show is uh, tomorrow evening, but there were some things we wanted to work out on the show with some uh, sound bites and stuff, and through the, through the duration of the show, you're going to be hearing that, so don't be turned off by it. But uh, um, I, the topic for tonight is, is Israel, the Middle East, and the possibility of actually relocating uh, Israeli Jews to the United States, perhaps to to um, to uh, ease tensions in the Middle East. And what brought this about is that uh, Stefan, I believe, has been contacted by a major national um, news station in Israel wanting to do a story on Americans uh, wanting to bring Israelis over to the United States. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. It was it's, there's an Israeli entertainment TV station. They're, they're going to be in Houston uh, to interview some astronauts at NASA and some baseball players and a sheriff. And they uh, apparently one of their producers likes this idea. He, this is one of his little pet ideas to uh, to basically relocate Israel. And he every time he goes somewhere and he finds someone who promotes anything similar, he likes to put them on the air. So uh, there's when, when, when will you be interviewed? When will you be interviewed? It's set for early September, but I haven't decided yet whether I'm going to do it uh, or whether I'm going to be in town or available. But, I mean, the basic oh, okay. idea, you know, so that, that's that's in our negotiation. Probably September 5th or 6th, something like that, if it happens. Um, but the funny thing was, you know, I just wrote this in 2001, and the idea was basically, listen, what if we offered – right now we're spending $3 billion a year on Israel and lots of other money – and um, uh, what if we just said, listen, we're going we're gonna to quit supporting you in Israel, but we will give you a homeland here. It would only take about one, less than 1% of our public lands to create a, an area, say, in Utah or even in Alaska is what I was thinking near Anwar. And, and, and what I really like about the Anwar idea is, is the, uh, the Israelis are such a, a, um, a resourceful people that you know they would be able to turn the, those oil fields into a profit. And I would love for the for the Israelis to become an oil power. Wouldn't that be a nice turnabout? <laughs> there are some cl- climatical concerns there. I mean, I, I you know, Israelis are sun sort of uh, warm climate people. I don't think Alaska would be too attractive for them. Well, I have, I have faith. We, you know, we can give them Utah or Alaska, you know, and I think that the Mormons and the Israelis would we get along well. But, uh, no, how the about idea Puerto is, Rico. How about Puerto Rico? I think that well, would be much more. Puerto Rico's possibility. Actually, after my article came out, there were some others. I think a guy named Ken Lane wrote one about moving Israel to Mexico on Fox News, actually, and that was like the Baja Peninsula area. And but that's, uh, not, that's not part of the United States. I mean, we can't no, do no, anything no, no, about that. No, it's not part that. of the U.S. No, it's not part of the U.S. That's true. Um, and and, and the, you know, the funny thing was, I know some libertarians were actually about to write some articles. Uh, saying that because Germany committed all the crimes against the Israelis, the Jews, that really, in all justice, Germany should have to offer them a homeland. But the, the problem is they said, Achmedadadja, <laughs> beat them to the punch. So they can't really advocate that, you know. <laughs> uh, um, well, it's a, it's a pretty far-out idea, but uh, there is a little basis of fact in this, because like like you said before, in the 1940s, they were floating all these crazy ideas, and I was I was surprised you didn't know about uh, the New York deal. I, I remember that one. That was the big one. the The island was is this called Tonawanda, mm-hmm. and no, I'm sorry, it's called Grand Island, but it's near the town of Tonawanda in upstate New York, mm-hmm. and it's an island that separates the Canadian border and the United States border, but it's part of New York. It is part of New York State. Uh, but it's completely surrounded by water, and 
in the 1940s, a lot of uh, New York Jews were floating the idea of uh, turning Grand Island, New York, into uh, Israel, essentially. Well, you know, I mean, my thought was that, um, you know, we give them this public land and even help pay the relocation costs, although Israel could probably afford most of it. And, um, and, uh, and, but they're a separate state. They're not one of the United States. They're a separate country inside of the U.S. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So well, it would have, have to right. be geographically separated, I think. I don't think Utah, putting them in the middle of Utah is feasible. <laughs> no, no. We don't, they don't need to have the right to vote here because they, they do vote more, social, more socialistically than most Americans. So that's fine. But then, you know, we would have sort of two Jewish enclaves in America, New York and, uh, and uh, New Israel. <laughs> what about Miami Beach? <laughs> yeah. Maybe some uh, some uh, a trilateral uh, kind of a competition there. Yeah. Um, okay. So, what is the impetus for this? I mean, why is it that you're so intent on uh, pushing this idea? And uh, are you, uh, do you think that there's just no hope for Middle Eastern peace between the Arabs and Israelis? You think it's well, over? Well, whether there's whether there's hope or not, it looks like we're paying for it. So it looks like this is a win for everyone. It would be better for the Jews because, let's face it, you know, Utah and uh, most of American uh, soil is a more attractive and uh, a better climate to live in than, than uh, Palestine, the Palestinian area. Um, it would, I, and actually, I believe that if this happened, many Jews could remain in Israel. I believe that once the threat of the Israeli state, as the as the uh, Palestinians and, and a lot of the Arab Muslims see it, would, would would subside with most of the Israeli state leaving. I think probably a minority of Israelis could live there in peace and trade just like they used to do in the old days. Okay, Stephen, I got to interrupt you for a second. Um, I'm going to do something on air that I, in the year of the show I don't think I've ever done before. I'm going to publicly chastise my co-host, Andre. Are you there? I certainly am. Andre, you have never, ever been late before. Actually, I have. Yes, I have. <laughs> what happened? I just, I just uh, actually, believe it or not, uh, I just dozed off. Oh, my God. Well, that's a good good excuse. Actually, we have a caller on the line from uh, 754 Area Code. Caller, are you there? Yes, I am. And what is your name? Alan Turin. Oh, Alan. Okay, you're our... Next guest. Okay, that's. I want to make sure I called in early. There was a thunderstorm. That's that's fine. That's you know what? There's a thunderstorm coming here in Houston as well. Um, so, Stephen, I, I believe you know Alan, right? I do know Alan, and you better watch out. You're outnumbered. We have two lawyers here. Oh God, help us! <laughs> I've had my fill of lawyers uh, for the yeah. last week or so. Uh, I've you, told you, Alan the little story. You should, um, tell, you should tell him some of it now. Um, you know. Uh, no, I'm going to save it for um, for uh, criminal you're in criminal court and uh, uh, one of those uh, <laughs> no, tribunals of, uh, of the Attorney General before he resigned or something? That's <laughs> not exactly correct. Uh, but well, you're anyway, okay. uh, you'll correct it later on. Alan, we've uh, we've been we've been talking about a very interesting issue that uh, it's oh. kind of a bizarre issue. Um, it was at one time it wasn't a bizarre issue, but now it sort of is. And Stephen Kinsella has. Uh, uh, is bringing the issue back up, and that's the is- issue of uh, uh, relocation of Israeli Jews to the United States, which, if you seem to remember, in the 1940s, it was there was a lot of talk of this, and Stephen is saying... You know, the, uh, Eric, another country was Argentina that was considered. It was Uganda and Argentina. That's, that's right. Uganda, yeah. Yeah. yeah, Uganda, yeah, God. 
can you imagine Idi Amin, you know, uh, as the Zion African Rifles or something? You know? Okay, Stephen, I have a question for you. Now, you you talk about this as sort of a U.S. issue, a U.S. interest issue, because of the taxpayer-funded status of Israel, which is entirely correct. Um, this is a libertarian show, and we're all against uh, foreign aid here on the show, and we can all be in agreement on that. And But I'm, I'm wanting, wondering, why single out Israel? Isn't it true that Egypt gets as much foreign aid as, uh, from the United States as Israel does? Well, yeah, but first of all, if we, if we stop the contribution to Israel, I think we could stop the contribution to Egypt. I mean, that's just sort of a tit-for-tat kind of contribution. So you've got $6, six billion right off the bat saved per year. And, you know, the truth is, if we move, what's making, uh, what's contributing to the uh, the discontent a lot of the Arabs have with us is our support of Israel, not our support of Egypt. So that's really the, you know, and frankly, I mean, who would you rather have living in Utah, Egyptians or Israelis? Well, it is New Zion, so, sorry. Well, I wouldn't want Egyptians because they're probably going to be Muslims and, you know, what, comes, what happens there. So Right, right. So, see, it all makes sense. Well, there is there's more of a Judeo-Christian tradition than there is a, uh, uh, an Islamic Judeo-Christian tradition. Um, and you know the funny thing is, Eric, when when I wrote the article, it was on LouRockwell.com. I was actually uh, concerned that I would get a lot of the anti-Semitism accusations from pro-Israeli or, or Jewish uh, sympathetic types. The opposite actually happened. Uh, most of the criticism was from the kind of redneck patriot militia nut types who said we don't want the Yid next door to us. What the hell are you talking about? But almost every comment I've gotten, and I've gotten dozens, maybe hundreds, from Jews or Israelis has been positive. I've hardly gotten any negative comments from Jews or Israelis. Well, in fact, like that's... I mentioned, the, 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 the Israeli TV show, they, they seem to be really in favor of the idea. Okay, before, before we move on, is there a URL or a link for that article? If you just go to stephankinsella.com and go to my publications page, it's there. And that's, it's a S-E-P-H-A-N, Kinsella, K-I-N-S-E-L-L-A. Wasn't there also the economist who uh, had written, I'm, I'm drawing a blank now. Uh, Paul Craig Roberts. Paul Craig Roberts, right, who had written this. Yeah, Paul Craig Roberts wrote one um, as well as Ken Lane and uh, on Fox yeah. News. There are several similar ideas since 2001. Well, I, I would okay. say this. I, I just, I mean, just ahead, Alex. I, I would say, um, you know, the United States, I think, when, when it recognized Israel, um, was doing it out of a strong sense of sentiment, you know, for what had just happened in Nazi-occupied uh, Europe. And uh, it's, a, it's one of these decent impulses um, that the Americans have done as long as we've been able to help people who are just beyond our horizon, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And it just seems to me consistent with that. If, if worse literally came to worse, um, uh, you know that's almost exactly what would happen. And it's just, it seems prudent um, to say, you know, look, um, in effect, it's a, if you think about it, it's a similar situation that we had in 1975 with the Vietnamese and the Cambodians and the Laotians, the boat people that we took in. And um, this was on 60 Minutes, a, a rerun of it a few nights ago, last Sunday, that uh, the same question is coming up now. What are we going to do when the U.S. does withdraw from Iraq with Iraqis who have helped the United States? I mean, you, you know their, their life expectancy is going to be zip, nil, and bad um, if the U.S. pulls out of Iraq. So clearly, you know, what do you do with people who have been your allies and, and, you know, and you're saying, well, we can't do this anymore. We have to leave. 
what's left, you know. So I think it's a similar kind of impulse. It's not just a, you know, well, we're going to get rid of this country, you know. Yeah, and that's a good point, Alan. If if nothing else, the uh, people on the immigration debate uh, ought to at least recognize that, if nothing else, we maybe ought to open our doors to people that we've dispossessed or caused trouble in their home country. So maybe we should have an open-door policy for Iraqi. And also, if they're worried about, uh, you know, uh, there's a lot of agitation against immigration from uh, third world countries. Well, you know, that's not the issue with Israelis, for goodness sakes. I mean, you've got a high class uh, educational system, mm-hmm. uh, mass literacy in a way that, uh, I mean. No, I just don't know. want a bunch of secular Jewish liberals coming to America, that's all. <laughs> well, but now listen, if they would have their own country, then that's, the problem of them voting Jewish or socialist isn't a problem, right? Say that so, again? They if they had their own country, right? If New Israel was a separate sovereign nation, oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, then I wouldn't they, care. You're right. So well, then, no, they then, then we go to economically, Vermont. right? Then they, they go to Vermont economically, culturally, right? Right, like Vermont. Vermont. <laughs> right. So, you know. well, I, I, you know, I hope it never comes to that. I mean, I think that uh, again, uh, to me, it's, it's it's this kind of humane. I, I think it's a very humane impulse. It's to say, look, you know, if we can't do what we set out to do, the very least we can do, is give you a home here. I'm not sure that I would offer them, you know, Vermont and say, okay, that's a country that we are carving out. It's another thing to say, welcome to America. Um, and, you know, and I, you know, the thing about socialism in, in, in Israel, I mean, that was part of the founding impulse for some of the Zionists who started the country. But, um, you know, it's almost, uh, I don't know, like golden oldies here. I mean, I mean, I don't particularly see. Um, I mean, if God forbid you had uh, four million uh, Israeli settlers coming into the United States, um, you know, over the next ten, fifteen years, because of some crisis in the Middle East, yeah, I don't see the United States becoming more socialist because of it. I, you know, it's, it's probably true. I think you could sell the idea to Israelis um, more easily if they were promised their own state. So it's new Israel, or it's Israel just relocated somewhere here. Okay, Stefan, what, but geographically, the Utah idea is out the window. It's got to be a geographic area that's isolated or an island, uh, you know, or, or, you know, you can't just stick them in the middle of the United States and have them have a Miami sovereign Beach, nation. That's what it is. It's Miami well, Why Beach? not? What are you I mean, talking uh, about? <laughs> well, Miami I Beach. think that's, look, is, Israel is about, what, 5 million acres, about 7,800 square miles, smaller than New Jersey. And, uh, you know, that would be less than 2% of the public land that BLM controls in America right now. You could stick them easily in the middle of one of the huge public forest areas we have in Nevada or Utah or Alaska, easily, or Wyoming. And it, that, would put that, land to, that would put that land to productive use. Yeah, but that, that sort of opens, opens our country up to a bunch of little uh, – little isolated countries within our country. I think that's a really far-fetched idea. I mean, South Africa sort of has that. They've got these Swaziland and, and whoa, some whoa, other whoa, nations. Hold on a second. Hold on. I mean, first of all, this is, Israel is clearly a special case. And second of all, there are lots of landlocked countries in the world. I mean, this is a very common occurrence. There's nothing wrong with it. I mean, we have lots of landlocked states in the U.S., right? They're landlocked states. There's nothing wrong with being landlocked. So it could be a separate country easily. It's already on unused soil, basically controlled by the federal government. And it, the other good thing about it, it would establish a precedent that the federal government doesn't have to own these things forever. It can release them somehow to some productive use. Maybe they would sell the rest 
and use the money to pay off the national debt. <laughs> okay. Um, well, I think it's a pretty far-fetched idea, um, but it is interesting to, uh, well, well, to bring well, it up. I, in, uh, I think, but it's, I think, I think it's, it's... I'm sorry. I didn't more down-to-earth aspect of this is the Middle East problem. I don't really see... I, I see the situation in the much improved today as, than it was in comparison to, say, 10 years ago. Are you, are you arguing that it's, it's, it's a worse off now than they were 10 years ago? Uh, I'm not sure. I, th- I think we could be uh, gradually improving. I'm not sure if it will ever improve enough, but in the meantime, we're spending $6 billion plus a year on the region, and uh, maybe a trillion if you count the Iraq war. Okay, fair enough. But we're we're spending the the same amount of dollars uh, to protect Germany and Japan. Why not pick on the Germans and the Japanese and the South Koreans? Why single out Israel? Well, I wasn't aware we were spending three billion a year on Germany and and and, uh, and Japan. But if we are, that's just another argument. We should stop that. And I don't think we need the excuse of uh, I don't think we have to have political cover by moving uh, Germany and Japan here. Well, I, we've I, got I, like, like five army bases in Germany. Well, oh, I, I, we're not talking $3 billion a year. Yeah, but I think, I think even, I mean, let me make a distinction here. I mean, Steve I, is, uh, is talking about uh, making an offer to carve a portion of these United States um, as a refugee, as an enclave that could become a sovereign state of yeah. new Israel in North America. Yeah. All I'm saying is, in the ideal of non-interventionism, we're ending the, I would end the, the foreign aid. Now, it seems to me the question is, and this is something I'm, I'll probably start when I start my foreign policy blog. Is, is you know, it's all well and good, and I and I, I advocate it all the time to say I I advocate a non-interventionist foreign policy. The problem is there are lots of people who, through no fault of their own, in, in a sense, I don't mean the politicians, but the populations there, who have come to live in a place, and this has become their home or this has become their situation, and then you say, well, you know, we tried to run an empire as best we could in the fringes or in the periphery or wherever the heck it is, and now we're going to say, no, we can't do this anymore. What do you do in good conscience? In other words, you can't just – there's a great and horrible line when some yeah. settlers told de Gaulle, you know, if you leave, we'll suffer. And he said, yeah, eh bien, vous souffrez, you're going to suffer. And he just, you know, well, that's Charles de Gaulle. I mean, what do you do with folks who, you know, we have armed Israel – we have given them development aid for more than two generations. If things got really bad, you know, like uh, if Palestinians started, oh, I don't know, not being terrorists, but started uh, working on, uh, if you ever see the scene out of one of Tom Clancy's novels where they have start into nonviolent uh, demonstrations versus the violent demonstrations, mm-hmm. it will disarm, if you will. This is... This is when this issue becomes relevant. This is what what Alan is talking about. If there is some huge disaster in the Middle East where uh, Ahmadinejad um, threatens nukes against Israel and it's imminent and we have to have this massive flood of Israeli refugees into the United States, that's when this issue becomes, uh, you know, it's not nearly as far-fetched under that scenario as well, some may think it is. I'm not talking about I agree. Iran. I'm, I, I'm saying, consider the following. Um, uh, I had this argument with one of the people on uh, Libertarian, uh, Libertarian uh, Republican. I can't remember what his source was, but 
um, it seems to me that the evidence is in place that most Israelis don't have Old Testament-sized families, um, whereas because most Israelis tend to be Western-oriented, and they've gone through that kind of demographic shift where mom and dad have 1.2 children or whatever it is. I don't know what a two-tenths of a child is, but, you know, your family, your average Western-type family has smaller and smaller um, numbers of children, whereas the Palestinian numbers who live in the West Bank and in Gaza and in Israel proper are still in a kind of third-world worldview. So they have families of five and six kids. Well, eventually, you know, the last large pool of, of uh, Jewish folks who could emigrate into Israel was the Soviet Union. That was 15, 16 years ago when the Soviets gave up the ghost yeah. and a lot, you know, there's no other pool. So the question okay, is... Okay, Alan. Yeah. Yeah, yeah go, go ahead. Um, finish well, your thought. I want, I, want to, wait, 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 I want to give Stephen the last five minutes I'm to sorry. talk about I'm sorry. Go ahead. Let me... No, I, I agree with all this, and, and to be honest, in, in a way, part of my proposal is is really there's obviously realism concerns with it and practicality concerns, but it's more of a way that we could we could disentangle from the Middle East, and that we could honorably um, um, withdraw and cease our aid. So we could basically, instead of just cutting off the aid and disentangling, which is not pol- politically feasible. Uh, we could we could make an offer. We could say yes, we're going to cut off the aid in a certain time frame, a year or two or whatever. But we will help to relocate Israel, the entire country, if necessary, to somewhere in America. We will do it. It will cost a lot, but in the long run, it will be better for everyone. And and if they choose not to accept the offer, then we have done our duty. Okay, we can withdraw with honor, and we have given them an, a way out that is actually better for them. And if they prefer to stay in that part of the world because of some sentimental or religious attachment, that is fine. But why should we have to pay for that? Okay, let me ask you a very specific question. We've got about uh, four minutes left with our guests, and then we're going to turn it over to our other guest, Alan Turn, and talk about politics. And hopefully he's down there in Miami Beach. He'll give us uh, um, an update on Castro and whether uh, Fidel has assumed room temperature. Uh, but let's not get into that right now yet. Uh, Stefan, this is uh, this is my one question for you. Um, I maintain that it's not the fact that uh, the Israelis are Jews uh, is the, so much. It's not the religious uh, beliefs of the Jews that the Muslims hate so much. It's more more the fact that they're a secularized Western culture with topless beaches and pizza parlors and you know and video game halls and computers and computer cafes and sexy women on beaches uh, bopping around, you know, with tan lines and all that and, you know, carrying pina coladas. And, and recently, I, uh, just last week, I read an article about how Lebanon is turning in that direction as well. Not the, not the obviously, the, not the whole country, but the beach areas of Lebanon are turning ex- extremely risque where they're having almost topless... Uh, you know, parades on the, at the, some of the hotels and stuff, and the Arab men are just <laughs> eating it up. Um, now, hey, it was a what? French colony. Come on. <laughs> well, Lebanon, Lebanon was like that before, and now they're getting that way again. And and, and what, yeah, about, so, what, about mean, du- what about Dubai, what? UAE, Eric? I mean, Dubai is even worse. Dubai is known as this sort of. I mean, a lot of homosexuals go there. This known to be the place where I mean, it's totally Dubai is what? Sure, sure. So, so I mean, yeah, I don't understand the. Uh, let me get the question out, uh, Alan. Sorry. I don't understand the, the 
motivation behind this because if it was because these the to protect the Israelis and from the Arab wrath that's upon them, well the the fundamentalists are going to start hating the Lebanese, the coastal Lebanese, and and the Dubai residents as well, and I, I even. To a certain extent, Tunisia is doing this as well. They've uh, outlawed the burqa, and they've got uh, beaches uh, where co-ed beaches remember now. The Muslim, remember, though, the Muslims don't care if the men if men engage in this kind of stuff. They just don't want women to. See, a whole, a whole you know, Islam is a is a very uh, uh, they have a double standard. You know, the men can go out and womanize and do whatever they want. Just the women that can't. Correct, uh, correct, uh, Andre. But the the thing about what's happening in Lebanon right now is. It's turning into like an MTV uh, fiesta bowl. They're, they're, you know, it's men and women, you know, gallivanting around at, at these uh, these risque uh, beach resorts like the Hilton and the Sheraton and such, and um, and that's what the article said. So I would, you know, with, with Stefan's idea, I just don't understand what the motivation is now because well, because okay, the fundamentalists let, let, are going to hate the Lebanese as well. Are we going to take me, the Lebanese me, in it next or what? Let me put it this way. I mean, to, just to be honest. If you ask your typical uh, Israeli-hating Muslim on the street, you know, have they only hated Israel for the last 50 years, or they have, have they hated them for hundreds and hundreds of years? I mean, cl- clearly, I think it's, it's, clearly the it's fundamentalist, not a thing. The fundamentalists would say it's a recent thing. It's the fact that the Israelis have become so licentious, and uh, there's gays and lesbians, and they allow and marijuana smoking. and. Years. Yeah, but I mean, listen, have you? I can't remember the name of the author, but there's a, there's a new book out. You you would probably like it. Um, I think it's called I Accuse, and it's uh, it's about Carter. And the, the, this guy's thesis is that um, you know there's been a radical strain in Islam for centuries, but it's been a minority sort of a, 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 a radicalized sort of a minority sect. But but with with Carter's politics with regards to Iran. Um, uh, they finally gained a, a they gained a, ter- a, a state base a state base basically in Iran, and that is basically the turning point of radical Islam. So it's not really it, it is fairly recent, the last thirty or forty years, but it is not because of Israel. It's because of uh, gaining a state sponsor basically. Um, See, I, I think you're overemphasizing the geopolitical aspects of this. I think it has it's like ninety percent has to do with culture. And, and and culture has to do with sex. Bottom line, it's all it's all about sex. I mean, the Israeli women are sexy and hot and beautiful, and and the Arab men just lust after them. That's that's what this is all about. And uh, you know, and it, the fact that Lebanon is becoming westernized, and Dubai and Tunisia, to some extent, and the and the island that I was on, Bahrain, um, I was stationed in Bahrain for nine lousy months of my life in the U.S. Navy, and. Uh, I mean, they've become sort of westernized as well, and I think the Arab fundamentalists are seeing that, and so uh, they're going to be turning against them as well. So my question to you, Stefan, and we're probably going to have to end it with this question, is, uh, I mean, are you are we going to take in next after the Israelis, the moderate Lebanese and the moderate Dubai residents and the Tunisians and the Bahrainis is after, you know, when the Muslim fundamentalists don't stop with just threatening Israel, when they start threatening the moderate Muslims, are we going to take them in as well and create a Muslim nation within the United well, States? Them? No, we'll still well, once, once, sides. Once we take Israel in, we've done our part, and we can let Mexico take the Bahrainians in, and maybe Canada can take the, uh, you know, the, uh, the Lebanese in. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I, you know what? See, I think it'd be okay to take the Bahrainians because they're not going to want a separate nation. I think they'll assimilate more into our no, society. No, I, I think, I think, you're, I think you're, something what Eric is saying is true, and 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 that is, it's a cultural issue. But I don't think it's just the the mores. What you have to remember is that that whole region was ruled by Europeans until. 1920 to 1960, if you will, or 1950, whatever it was, and um, <clears throat> the Arabs themselves have been promised a lot of things by the British. And uh, in the First World War, if you ever watched uh, Lawrence of Arabia, you see part of it. And what happened in 1920 is when the British basically had made promises to both sides of it, and uh, they couldn't honor it because they, w- they weren't going to. So France said, okay, we're taking back Syria, we're taking back Lebanon, that'll be our sphere of influence, and there was going to be a British sphere of influence, and they carved this all up. And the idea of the uh, the, the pan-Arab that had been promised was a few, you know, a large Arab state. And I don't mean just Saudi Arabia was going to be you know, starting in Damascus and working it all its way down. So there's been a resentment of European colonialism. Yep. They were pretty neutral about Americans. Um, when the Israeli state was established, they looked upon that as a colonial outpost all over again and um, of course they put the marker down and say okay we're going to go to war in 48 well that was humiliating and then you had the okay Alex of the Soviets, so. uh, we're, we're going to sum up with uh, Stefan Stefan can you give us your uh, website again and uh, what, what what is the URL for your website yes stefankinsella.com and uh, I'll just close in saying Eric uh, I agree with you about Israeli women but there are some very uh, gorgeous uh, Persian women I remember one in I remember in particular one in grad school named Shekufe Kawami who uh You knew her? Really, oh, oh yeah. I was in I was in uh, grad school at L S U and there was a uh, some beautiful uh but unfortunately uh, she was uh, captured by Hamid Rangshi. So uh, anyway, you know, there are some uh, gorgeous uh Persian women as well. Oh, I'm sure there are. I, I mean, <laughs> great. Well Stefan, uh, it's been a real pleasure and uh Good luck with your interview with that uh, Israeli television station, and uh, we would love to have you on again uh, as, as a guest. Uh, if you have any other issues to come up, you're right here in Houston. And uh, So thank you so much, and uh, we're going to let you go now, Stefan, and we're going to turn the show over to Alan Turin. Uh, good night. Thank you, guys. Good night. Thank you. I'm sorry for all those interruptions on my part. Hello? Hello, I don't know what's going on here. Oh, well, that makes, that makes many more of us. I thought that was a rather interesting thesis that he was talking about. Are, are you there, Alan? Yes, I'm right here. Yeah, I don't know where Eric is. Are you there, Eric? Eric's just oh. dropped off. Well, so what's happening in Texas? I don't, well, seven is, seven time is, Stefan's time is up, but... Uh, uh, <laughs> anyway... Uh, well, I, I, the reason I called in a little bit early was I, there was this huge electrical storm, and I'm on a cell phone, so I want to make sure I had the right connection. And then uh, Eric just told me that uh, you all were going through a, a stormy phase there for a moment ago. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. Well, now that now that Eric is not on, well, I, I know that Eric wanted to talk about politics and stuff. So I, sure. I just well, let me just uh, jump right in and say that uh, even though I'm currently supporting Sam Brownback for president, I'm sure he's going to drop out. And it uh, looks like Ron Paul is the most attractive candidate to me. <laughs> I'm sure Eric will be happy to hear that. <laughs> well, I figured that. You figured you would be. Um, I will tell you that uh, that 
I think it's interesting that he's won these straw polls, a lot of straw mm-hmm. polls, and uh, I have a friend who thinks he's going to win the New Hampshire primary. Do you think that that's a possibility? I do, I do. I, I think that uh, the biggest um, goofiness about this uh, uh, political campaign is you've got, in some polls, you've got 20, 25, 30% of um, likely Republican voters, registered Republican voters, who don't want, um, well, no, excuse me, who, who give it preference for two guys who haven't announced, Newt Gingrich and Fred, and, um, Fred Thompson. Mm-hmm. You've got two-thirds of Republicans polled who say they don't like the so-called top-tier candidates. And the, the third part is I believe that there's been a communications revolution or evolution in the last uh, seven years that is so different um, it's on par with what happened to um, when Liberty Magazine surveyed for presidential uh, campaign of 1936, they used a telephone poll, which the only thing existed was a landline, and they determined that most people with telephones were going to vote for Alfred Landon and oust FDR in a landslide. Now, the problem was in 1936 and the, in the Great Depression is that most Americans didn't have landlines. Most Americans didn't have telephones. So they were basically getting their data from people who were well-to-do, who felt either dispossessed or threatened by FDR. In 2008, I mean, I have existed now for almost two years without a landline at the house, um, partially because of Hurricane Wilma. Right, right. What you're saying is that people people are... are, um not being a lot of people do not have do not have landlines, and so the polls are not entirely accurate. Correct, and I think that what we have to keep in mind is that in 1991, approximately at this stage of the Democratic primary, um, Bill Clinton was at one to three percent in the polls among Democrats. Hmm. Now, he seemed to have eked something out um, by 1992. Now there is a different punching up of the primaries, and um, so I think it's quite possible for, for Ron to, to win in New Hampshire. Remember, consider the following. Ron is the only Republican candidate in New Hampshire whom the voters have known or will have known for 20 years because he was there heavily back in 1988 as a Libertarian Party nominee. And there is – it seems to me that most of the excitement and the buzz has been people who are – when they first hear about Ron Paul – who the hell is he? And then they, they listen and they think, gee, this makes sense. So you have 70% of the electorate that wants a withdrawal from Iraq. You've got... Whoa, 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 Alan. That is, that is an entirely inaccurate statistic. Oh, right. It's 75% now? No, it's down in the low 60s. And uh, as a matter of fact, the New York Times... What, in another two months? It's going to be the majority of the day? The, the two weeks ago, the New York Times had to take a second poll because they were so astounded by the turnaround because of the surge in the polling numbers. They didn't believe their own polling numbers. They they saw this big surge in support oh, for the war in Iraq. The and polls that say Iran polls at one percent. It's just bogus of the others. The surge isn't working, and uh, it's it's not going to, and it hasn't, and uh, that's going to come out in the war. I mean, why do you think uh, General Pace of the Joint Chiefs of Staff? It's calling for a cut down of the military presence in Iraq. Why do you think? Why do you think Senator Durbin, Andre's uh, U.S. senator there, who's an ultra-liberal, anti-war Harry Reid Democrat, came out two weeks ago and said the surge is working? 
He's really <laughs> drunk is what's happening. <laughs> and and, 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 and one Democrat is sober. You know. Senator Clinton said the said the same thing, and then uh, Senator Bob uh, Bob Casey from Pennsylvania, two liberal Democrat congressmen, uh, this guy named Baird from Seattle, Washington, and we all know Seattle is way, way off the charts left wing. This guy Baird went over to Iraq and spent a, a, a week there, and he came back and he was stunned. And the Seattle Post and the Seattle uh, um, Times, they didn't know what to say, I mean, because they're so far left wing. And here's one of their own homeboys sitting there saying that they're wrong. It was unbelievable. I'm not left-wing, and I haven't been left-wing, and I'm not about to become left-wing, okay? And I'm opposed to the war. There's a whole bunch of people who think this was the wrong place and a whole bunch of people who have gotten disgusted with it. It's going to be fun. Sure, but my, my contention is that that number is getting less and less. And let, and let me interject as well. I am so pissed off about the polling on the war in Iraq. You know what they don't measure? They don't measure the people that are opposed to the war in Iraq because they don't think it's being fought hard enough. I'm in that category, and I know a lot of people, if a pollster were to call me up and say, are you in favor or opposed to the war in Iraq? I'd say I'm opposed to it because, because yeah, I, don't, I think Bush is being a, a wimp. You know, he's being a liberal. He's, not, he's fighting this. He's fighting with uh, putting uh, tying the hands behind all the American soldiers and Marines over there. Well, I will say so, something. I, I, I wanted to tell you something that I think you would like to hear. Um, uh, General Petraeus was in Iraq. Not, I don't mean now under the surge, but at the time of the invasion. And um, I was just reading about it. Um, it was a book called Fiasco, which as you might guess uh, the, the, the drift on that one. But General Petraeus was, uh, I've forgotten if it was the 82nd or the 101st Airborne, but his section of Iraq, after he got in there, got quiet quickly, and he basically shut down the insurrection. And he did it through typical good counterinsurgency tactics, which was he made friends with the population, he made friends with the sheikhs, yep. and said, look, um, I can be your worst enemy, but I'm here to help you, and you've got to basically help me. And he ran a completely different shop than, than what Don Rumsfeld and, and company and after about you know a year of quieting things down, they said, you know, Petraeus should come stateside. So they sent him stateside to go train staff officers, and the insurrection er- erupted. And I'm, you know, it's I'm hopeful. Oh, I, I got to interrupt. I got to interrupt. Looks like we have a caller. Um, I, I want to hear the end of the story, but we got to get this call. Caller from six zero nine area code. Are you on the air? <coughs> yes, I am. Excuse me. <laughs> I just wanted to say, uh, what, 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 what's your what's your name and where are you calling from? Uh, I'm sorry, my name's Charlie. I'm calling from Mount Holly, New Jersey. Great, great to have you on the program. Go ahead. Uh, where where are you located at? Um, I'm in Houston, Texas, uh, fourth largest city in the United States, and my co-host Andre Traversa is in the third largest city in the United States, Chicago, Illinois. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought Philadelphia was the fourth largest state uh, city. Uh, no, Philly's dropped down to number five. Oh, uh, that's true. If it, you know what? You were mentioning about them, them congressmen. How much? When I came back from Iraq two years ago, how could they see what's going on there with two days with a dog and pony show? Where are you located? Okay, okay. Firstly, please turn down the radio. Okay, we're getting oh, okay. bad feedback. Turn down that radio. So you're uh, in Iraq. Oh, how many tours? So you're you you're an Iraqi war veteran, huh? Yes, indeed. I'm a Marine too. And uh, when did you when did you get out? 
when did I get out? I got back out yeah. in '05. I'm still in the inactive reserve. Uh, so you wow. were there from the invasion? You were there for two years, or what? <clears throat> no, I did. That was that was my third tour there. See, we wow. were we're in the mail service support. What we do, we go out. Well, I was in 31st mail. We go out for six months, go over there, and then come back. Now that they're making the deployments for uh, 15 months for everybody over there, but we are a part of the rapid deployment force. We go over and come in and out. Okay. We don't we don't stay there for like like the other units do. Okay. Well, we're very honored to have you on the show. Absolutely honored, and I'm sure I speak for Andre and Alan. When I say this, thank you for your service, um, and 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 we're very anxious to hear what your views are on the surge and and the war in Iraq. We uh, whatever your views are, that's fine with us. Let let us know right now. Well, I didn't participate in the surge, but from when we were over there, and I'm going to be honest with you, you know, I'm an E5, I'm a sergeant, and most of us guys, the, the people there, the Iraqis, don't seem to be accepting what we're trying to give them. Yep. You, you understand what I'm trying to say, D? Yep. They're, they're, it's a totally different culture. I, I can't explain it. It's like they're, I don't want to say this and sound crazy, but they're like lazy. And it's it's weird. And they're not, and it just seems like we're just spinning our heels over there now. And that's uh, why let I... Let me interrupt for a second. Uh, let me interrupt. Caller at 917 area code, I see you on the board. You're going to be up after our guest from New Jersey uh, in about one minute. So, okay, go ahead and continue. Which is Charles is your name, right? Charlie, yeah. Yeah, Charlie, go ahead yeah. and continue. But I, it just it just seems like they're not accepting what, what we're trying to offer them over there. And it just, I don't know what it is. It's their history or whatever, their culture. It's, what do you think we should be doing now, Sergeant? I, I, what I think, I don't, just we should have a people, we should keep a, a force there of probably thirty to forty thousand. Keep trying to train their police. I think yeah. that's you know a holding force. No more trying to support this Maliki or any of that type of stuff. That's, that's yeah. all. You know that sounds <laughs> sounds good. Well, that's the, like, the, the general, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff uh, would agree with you because he's advocating. He's saying right now that well, the, the military is so stretched out that starting next year we're just going to have to cut it by half. And that would be eighty thousand, which is obviously more than thirty. But you know, when the Joint Chiefs of Staff Chairman starts talking that way, um, uh, <laughs> I just want to see if he's going to be—he's a Marine, Pace. Oh yeah, oh, sure. but it, it, I want to see if he's going to be able to really be allowed to say that in congressional. I, I think he's saying, I think he's saying it because he's uh, retiring. So okay, yeah. Charlie and Alan. Char- Charlie, we are so appreciative for you calling in, and uh, we're going to have to let you go because we've got to take another call, but we do hope that you call in again, uh, Libertarian Politics Live, and uh, please visit the website, MainstreamLibertarian.com, and uh, we're going to let you go. We're going to take another call here. From uh, Thank you so much, Charlie. Number five. All right. Uh, caller from 917 area code. Are you, are you on the air? You're on the air. Hey, guys. Uh, who's on the line? Uh, this is James. Okay, James, where are you calling from? I'm calling from uh, I'm calling from Phoenix, Arizona. Excellent. Thank you so much for being on Libertarian Politics Live. What's your uh, What's your opinion of the war in Iraq and the Middle Eastern situation? 
Well, my opinion on the wars in Iraq is it's a war we shouldn't be in right now. It's a war that from day one uh, was planned, and it was executed. In, and here's my thing. If you're going to plan a war, you better execute it competently. You better, uh, you better know what you're doing. And when, you, when, when there's evidence, when you, when you have military experts telling you we're going to need uh, 300,000 troops to do this mission justice, and you fire him, you force him into a resignation, I think that's about as low as you can go. When you've got the Secretary of Defense telling people, I'm going to fire the first person who comes up and talks to me about the need for a post-war strategy, that's when you know you've got a government determined to screw you over. Okay? And so this war was, shouldn't have been fought, and when it was fought, it was fought in the least appropriate way it should have been fought. It, what, no thought was given to Reconstruction, no thought was given to where we are now. Wow. <laughs> I think you find a lot of agreement on that on the show. Um, but uh, isn't it fair to say, James, that uh, nobody, nobody expected that we'd win as fast as we did? I mean, if I, I can remember right the days before the war in Iraq, the media was saying, oh, they better have 100,000 body bags because we're going to have tens of thousands of casualties in Iraq. And, I, I mean, nobody ever dreamt that we well, get rid of Saddam Hussein and take thought, over Iraq and, and in less than 45 days. Well, I think they thought that Saddam Hussein was going to use those gas weapons he didn't have. Well, he did have them. He just shipped them off to Syria. The thing about it is taking out Saddam was only one piece of the puzzle. You can, I mean, Dick Cheney elaborated this, and Dick Cheney, of all people, elaborated this in 1994. Yep. Of all people, Dick Cheney said, he said, you can go in, you can take out Saddam, but what are you going to put in his place? He said, as terrible as, he essentially said, as, as terrible a regime as Saddam is, he's what's holding the country together. He's what's stopping the country from slipping into what we're seeing now. So, yeah, I'll agree with you. The, the overthrow of the Saddam regime was done beautifully by our military. Our military does beautifully uh, many things. But your, our commanders, the people making decisions about war and peace in this country, had no plan for what happened after Saddam was out of power. Yes, I agree with you, James. I agree with you, James. My, my contention would be the reason they had no plan is they never dreamed that they would win in 45 days. It was a, the most astounding military victory in human history. I mean, who could prepare for something like that? Well, now, now Eric, now, I mean, uh, you know, the British rapidly invaded the uh, or the two Boer republics at the turn of the last century. And, you know, in a matter of six months, they occupied the capitals of both countries, and they thought, hey, you know, we got it. And the problem was <laughs> the next two years of the Boer War was guerrilla war that ground the British Empire to have to negotiate and sue for peace. I mean, it wasn't like they capitulated, but the point is okay. they had to negotiate a peace. Alan, let's... Uh Let's wrap up with our, our, our guest caller, James from Phoenix. James, we're going to give you the floor here for a minute, and then we're going to have to change the subject of the show. we got a, some housekeeping items to do, politics and stuff. But, James, go ahead for the next minute. Uh, well, I think you've got to be prepared for all things. And uh, I think there shouldn't have been any doubt uh, in their minds that, they, that this was a mission. I think uh, you said they, they, they went in prepared to overthrow Saddam. That was their mission. And they did it. They did it uh, as they, they did it beautifully. They, uh, they went into Iraq. Their mission was overthrowing Saddam. Where the problem lies 
is where the, pro- the problem lies in the fact that after we overthrew Saddam, there was absolutely no thought given to what we would do after. I mean, uh, surely, surely we can't say they expected to be trying to overthrow Saddam for four years. I mean, Saddam is nothing compared to our military. We went in with enough force to overthrow him as quickly as we did, and we, we should have made sure that before we left our troops stranded in the dire situation that they're in now, we had given some thought into what we would put in Saddam's place after he had fallen. And this Maliki government isn't my idea of a, uh, of a suitable replacement for basically the only regime or basically the only reason that the country had held together prior to our invasion. James, you're very articulate. We deeply appreciate you calling in the show, and, and thank you so much for your call, and uh, thank you for your comments tonight. We're going to let you go. And uh, All right, good night, James. And uh, we're going to turn the show. Uh, Alan, Andre, are you there? I am. I am. Okay. Okay, Alan, Andre, we're going to do something here that I've got to do. The reason we're having the show tonight is uh, we've got to take care of a couple housekeeping items. Uh, our long-lost friend Johnny Ringo uh, worked up a couple intros for us, and callers out there, if you're listening, we want you to call in and vote on these intros um, to tell us, uh, for, the, for the program, to tell us if, what you think about it. Andre, Alan, they're about, uh, about uh, 45 seconds long, so I'm going to start with the first one here. Sure. Um, Libertarian Politics Live is on the air. Libertarian Politics Live is brought to you by the Libertarian Defense Caucus with your co-host Andre Controversa Traversa. And now, here's your host, Eric, the Attack Dog, Don Darrell. Okay, that's the uh, that's the first intro uh, that we have. We've got three different intros. I like that one a lot. It's not my favorite. Is that a good one, Alan? The Lemon Sisters, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, the problem is, I don't know about y'all, but when I'm hearing it on 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 the program, it it doesn't come through crystal clear. I'm I'm anxious to listen to the download. Well, it comes uh, cl- very clear on my phone. It, comes it did. Too, oh yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Oh, yeah, wonderful. Okay, Andre. Andre, what did you think of that intro? I thought it was. I thought it was fine. Yeah, me too. Okay. All right, we're gonna pay, play the next intro. This is the rock and roll intro, and then after that, we'll have one more. And uh, between the three of us, I think we're going to decide what the official intro for the show is going to Wait, be for the next. Before you do that, before you do that, I think you should just alternate them. So I bet that's okay. You can just rotate them. But well, Andre, that's a vote too. If okay. hold your thought until we, right. until we go through the three. Okay, here's the rock and roll intro, worked up by Johnny Ringo, and that is his voice, Johnny Ringo of Wisconsin. Here's the next intro. Politics Live is on the air. Libertarian Politics Live is brought to you by the Libertarian Defense Caucus with your co-host Andre 
Controversa Traversa. And now, here's your host, Eric, the Attack Dog, Don Darrell. Okay, Alan Turin from Miami Beach. What did you think of that intro? I, I heard no music at all. How about you, Andre? Did you hear any music? Oh, no, I heard the music, but I don't think it was as good as the first one because it yeah. it was kind of it was kind of uh, there wasn't as much music for one thing, and it was you couldn't even hear any vocals really. I think the first right, one was just better. Very muted, yeah. I couldn't hear. Okay, so, so far, far I'm going. The, uh, I'm still with the Lennon Sisters. Okay, okay. So far, it's it's the Lennon Sisters, and and I tend to agree. Now, here's our last one. It's uh, by Toby Keith. It's more of a country set, and okay. once again, it's Johnny Johnny Ringo. Let's listen to this one. American girls and American guys We'll always stand up and salute We'll always recognize when we see old glory flying There's a lot of men dead So we can sleep in peace at night when we lay down our heads Libertarian Politics Live is on the air Libertarian Politics Live is brought to you by the Libertarian Defense Caucus with your co-host, Andre Controversa Traversa. And now, here's your host, Eric, the attack dog, Don Darrell. <laughs> okay, Alan Turner from Miami Beach, what you think of that intro? I, um, I, you should use the Toby Keith one. I'm, I'm as good as, uh, I'm not as good as I once was, but I'm good once. As I ever was, but uh, I, I'm, I'm still partial to Lennon sisters. But let me make something clear: this is you and and, and Andre's show. I, I'm just a you know a guest here, so I don't. No, I don't, you're not just a guest, Alan. You're a regular on the show. Well, aren't some regular? <laughs> I, I, I prefer the Lennon sisters because uh, a I, I prefer hearing women's voices any day of the week. Um, and, but uh, I don't know. I mean, try it for a while. I mean, my goodness. I mean, uh, you're doing All a right, lot of experimentation, good. and you know. Um, uh, at some point, you're going to put, you're going to start putting your. I mean, if I had a camera phone set up or, or a camera set up at my computer, eventually, you know, you can do this on YouTube. Oh my God, we got a caller. We got a caller. They, well, I hope they're calling in to give us give us their opinion on the intro. Caller from seven one three area code. Are you are you there? Yeah, no country. <laughs> no country. And you're, from, and you're from the heart of Texas, and you're not a you're not a redneck country country boy tater picking. Tobacco chewing, you know. I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what you need. Do you want to know? You need Rush, what? Spirit of the Radio. Hey, that you know that wouldn't be bad. I agree with you. Yeah. Actually, I kind of like Rush. Happen? Rush is cool. Now, do they play it's Russian? Happen. Do they play Russian Houston, man? Uh, yes, they do. I've seen them at. Uh, I've seen them already in concert twice. Yeah, but I mean, you know those stations, the radio stations in the south have been like all taken over by Clear Channel. They're really bad. Like, do they play them on the radio there? I don't listen to the radio, only internet radio. Well, that's why, that's, well I don't blame you because Clear Channels overrun your town. So I that's just, Stephen, I, is, that, is this you from 713 Area Code? This is me. I just couldn't let you put a country song on as your thing. You've got to do right. Oh, well, that's, that's okay. That's okay. But listen, you've been listening to the show. I mean, do, do the, the three intros come, come through clear? Um, from what I heard, it was a little bit muffled and quiet. Oh, that's not good. That's not good. Okay. But 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 the quality of the, of the call sounds really nice. Well, let me ask you all something else. How old is podcasting? It's uh, about two years old. Yeah. Okay. 
<laughs> you know, I mean, and what did the what did the airplane look like in 1905? Okay, I mean, I, you guys are making leaps and bounds and improvements, and <laughs> you know, I mean, just just figure what the, the second right plane looked like, you know. And I, okay, you know, okay, we've we've only got 20 seconds left in the show, and uh, so we're about right. to go off air. But uh, good night. Uh, and and Alan turned from Miami Beach. Alan is uh, is, is Castro going to survive or is he dead? I don't know. I, I don't know if he's dead yet. Um, but it's a, um, what happened last Friday was just a, this huge rumor. I mean, literally led the local news here, and it was in the front page of both the Herald and the Sentinel. He's going to die eventually. Um, you know, I just you know there was some. Uh, well, he's going to die eventually, of course. But the the other thing to remember is something I got from Lou Rockwell, um, or. And, and that was, you know, you don't know when it's going to happen, but when it is, you do know there's going to be a party here, like, like you can't. Like it's when it happens, I want to. When it happens, I want to go. I want to fly in Miami and, and like, like. No, dance you want to fly to Havana. Okay, we're now. We're now. I want to fly to Little Havana. And, and no, 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 Big Havana. That, when he's dead, you want to go to Big Havana. No, I want to go. I want to yeah, go. Oh, no, I want to go hang out with some Cuban Americans and. Oh, it's going uh, to be wild. We're now into overtime on the show. We're now in the podcast. We're no we're no longer live because, as everybody knows, Alan Turner loves to talk. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry about that. So, how y'all doing? <laughs> Just fine. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna end the show on that. And uh, sorry about going overtime, but all those listening on the podcast, that's what happens in live radio here. So uh, we will return tomorrow night, Andre. Correct? We're on at eight o'clock. Eight o'clock Central Standard Time. Andre, are you going to get us a good kick-ass guest tomorrow night, or what? Well, we'll see. <laughs> I don't. Oh God! <laughs> it's, going to, it's all going to be a surprise, man. Uh-oh. I don't even know what's happening tomorrow night yet. So, okay, Alan. Good night. Good night, Andre. We'll see y'all later. All right. Y'all take care. Right. Bye bye.